One of the most promising areas for pushing human performance forward is perception and our understanding of perception and how we can manipulate it to improve performance. Today, we look at one of the most powerful areas of perception and one of the most misunderstood, your vision. Here we go. Perception is going to be one of our main themes for 2024, but I wanted to get in a couple episodes to get our minds in that space because it's such an intriguing area to be in, especially in the world of sport performance. Perception, from a definition standpoint, is the ability to see, hear, or become aware of something through the senses. You might also say a way of regarding, understanding, or interpreting something, a mental impression. And that's really what it's all about, giving our brain information, the best information possible to create the environment in which we're going to operate. It's not as easy as it might sound because we don't really truly understand the inner workings of perception, especially when it comes to our visual field. Now, every team, organization and athlete I work with knows how much I value visual training and visual input. It's something I've spent years and years trying to understand and comprehend. And you can go back into the archives and hear unbelievable stories and shows about brain training and the science behind visual perception or visual fields. It's a fascinating world but there's a whole other side to really understanding what we see. It comes down to that concept of perception, which I consider part of the crush brain game. The brain game is this massive, massive thing. And again, sports psychology and mental training is just one small, small sliver of the brain game. We could talk personality, attitude, approach. We could talk about stress and anxiety. We could talk about coping mechanisms. We could talk about planning and decision-making and problem-solving. There are so many things that make up this world that we're calling the brain game. But this idea of perception might be one of the most uncharted areas of human performance. And we're just now starting to really get into it. Today, I am really, really happy to be joined by Tim Nicely, the founder of VFlex Technologies, Inc. You can go to vflexsports.com to check out their implicit training tools. This idea of implicit training, which means without intention, without planning, without thinking. It's learning something or doing something without really even thinking about it. A good example here might be going out and learning how to ride a bike. You don't have any idea how to ride a bike. You don't have any concept of what you might need to do. You just get on a bike and you start pedaling and you fall down, you crash, you get up, you try again. And somehow in there, you learn about momentum and balance and keeping things on track. You learn without even thinking about it, without even knowing you're learning. That's the true concept behind implicit training. How valuable is implicit training in understanding human performance and pushing human performance forward? It might be one of the critical cogs in the performance wheel. I think we have a long way to go. And today we're going to try to crack into that code and understand exactly what it's all about, how it works and how our mind perceives our environment. How accurate is it? And is the typical customary coaching strategies that we've used forever, are they actually effective 
in really harnessing true athletic talent and human performance. I think we have a long way to go, but let's find out. That's what today's show is all about. Here we go. All right, and we're joined by Crush favorite, Tim Nicely, the president and founder of VFlex Technologies, Inc. and VFlex Sports. You can check out their great information at vflexsports.com. Tim, welcome to the show. Uh, we are talking perception, and when I talk perception, you're one of the first people I think of because of all the great work you've done in that area of sport performance. Well, hey, thanks for having me on today, Jeff. Yeah, I, I know. I appreciate being here. Yeah, I'm really excited to get into this discussion. You know, when we talk about perception, and this is going to be one of our major themes coming up in the new year, but when we talk about perception, it is a monster of a topic when you dig down to it. It's something that we talk casually about, and I think it's something that could be really valuable, Tim, uh, in terms of understanding how people learn, perceive, and how we can help them maybe achieve their goals in sport. Do you think that's fair to say? Yeah, uh, spot on. That's a a great way to intro uh, perception really there are so many facets to this to this you know this topic of perception when we talk about sensory input but one of the most important sensory inputs i think out there would be vision especially in the arena of sport and sport performance but tim you and i've had this conversation before i think vision and vision and perception, maybe even more so, those two together are really, really misunderstood. And that's why I've always been so happy when you and I get to have conversations on this topic because you have dug down deep and you've actually created some products that are helping athletes achieve based on that line of thinking. Well, hey, we've uh, we've been at it for a while now, you know, and our primary focus has been perception, you know, because Perception is a made thing. You know, you look at uh, all of the objects that we see uh, in space. Uh, you know, they're a refractive image where light is bouncing off of those images and going into our brain, and our brain has to interpret what are these images. You know, and we learn things from hardscapes, but it's the softscapes, you know, it's the space, you know, that we have such mystery about it you know how do we understand these soft states? how do we understand the electromagnetic field that's the constant behind all images you know so manipulating that soft scape is very different than manipulating the hard scape of objects that are actually out there in space that we see and move them about and we call them constraints or we call them objects or whatever you want to call them but manipulating the internal perception very difficult thing to do. Yeah, I think it would be, Tim. Isn't it fascinating if you think about what you just said? If you think of all the people and all the athletes you've worked with, if we think about, you know, um, our baseball players, for example, or our hockey players or our football players, would it be fair to say, Tim, in your experiences, that everybody perceives things slightly different? And yet on the other side, I'm always fascinated how everybody can, you know, who who's successful in the game of baseball, for example, can actually hit that ball or throw that ball to a location or hit a golf ball square on. Uh, and yet there's the potential for all of us to have a slight difference in how we perceive things. What do you think about that? 
Yeah, it's uh, it's fascinating to be honest with you. You know, we we hear so much in the psychological realm. You know how different all these people are. You know that we're actually all individuals and we're so different. But there's a constant, you know, in the in the visual arena, to where we may perceive things a, a little bit differently, but the field or the canvas on which we see is the constant, and that's why we're able to basically all walk up a set of stairs, you know, after we've learned how to do that, or we're capable of hitting a ball or throwing a, a pitch to a specific location, or we're able to run and catch a ball that we know is going to be in a specific spot. You know, and the reason that we do that is because of the uh, enormous precision of the brain, you know, and the billions and trillions of neurons that are making up space. And uh, it seems to be that almost every brain that is a visual brain, you know, they're, they're not blind. You know, they have the ability to move in space pretty commonly because people aren't falling on the street all day long, you know, it's some they're right. all perceiving those things basically the same. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's very fascinating to me that, that people with all kinds of different backgrounds and different experiences can all strive and compete at a pretty good level. If we're just talking sport, but we could be talking about business. We could be talking about tactical training with our first responders. We could be talking about learning in school. This is a human thing, isn't it, Tim? It is a human thing. 100% yeah and our area just happens to be sport which is kind of a cool place to be because sport is typically very very measured so we can actually maybe test and see our results and one of the things I think that's also pretty interesting about this whole concept of perception and outcomes as you as you mentioned and I like that example of walking up the stairs um you know, when a youngster first learns to walk successfully and then they go or, or if they go from crawling to walking to running to climbing their first stairs successfully. It's funny. It's not much different than our young baseball players who come in and all of a sudden learn to hit or throw strikes or progress in the game. We're so um, built around this reward system. Our, our, you know, I think that's that at the essence, that's one of the human things about it. We're really driven by this reward system, which in sport is great outcomes, correct? It is. It is. You know, but that internal reward, how the brain rewards itself, you know, I see the brain as, the control center of the entire body. You know, we see with our brains, we taste with our brains, we smell with our brains, we feel with our brains. And um, when a neuron talks to another neuron, we don't get to hear the conversation. You understand? Yeah. And right. that's where, that's where perception is built. It's built behind our back, you know, and it's the underlying current of how we will actually see this space Sometimes today, because the electromagnetic field and the frequency that it's on in any particular day could be changed by, you know, the sun's rays, you know, and how, how powerful they are any specific day and change how we see space. Therefore, it would change how objects are perceived as well. Right. We're talking with Tim Nicely, the founder of VFlex Sports. You can check out their great information and their great products as well at VFlexSports.com. And Tim, that kind of brings us full circle here to what you guys have created, talking about that environment and perception. You know, um, um, 
you know, I think we kind of put, put our environments together. Uh, it's almost like, uh, imagination almost. We put it together based on what we think it is, but, um, when an athlete, or let me rephrase that when we're about to perform a task, let's say we're about to hit a volleyball or shoot a free throw or hit a golf ball, um, or intercept a pass or hit a baseball in, in, in the game of baseball. Um, from the time that ball is released to, uh, the time we actually have to act, would you say that a lot of the input or construction of that environment is based on our imagination? Does that kind of make sense? Am I making sense there? We kind of have to put it together in our mind to anticipate and interpret what's going on. Is that fair? Not, no, not really. Uh, because imagination takes energy. You know, you don't get to imagine for free. It's a thought. And thoughts cost you electrical impulses in the brain. You have about 60,000 thoughts a day. Uh, only about 10% of those will reach your conscious mind and only about 200 of those will have any impact on your daily activities. So the reason that they're constrained by the brain itself is because they are too expensive to have. And when you are trying to cognitively imagine or visualize or do anything in that realm, to me, that's explicit. Even though it's inside the brain, it's an internal functioning mechanism, it still costs enough energy to basically be explicit because a thought that you actually allow to come into your conscious mind has become real. It's not in your subconscious anymore. Therefore, when I talk about implicit training, I, I can't allow the brain to know what I'm doing. I have to manipulate the landscape or the softscape, the electromagnetic field that it's actually making images on the canvas, basically, without it knowing, you know, what is happening to me. And it's kind of like it's got its own firewalls. And it's got its own uh, regulatory system to where when you reach a certain millivolt inside the brain, brain says, hey, we can't do that. That costs us too much. So we want to be more implicit or instinctive. And instinctive means it doesn't cost you very much at all. It's just a way to perform at your highest level through nature's remedy, really. Yeah, no, makes total sense. When we start thinking about it, one, the process is too slow, especially in a real sports setting. And three, I like that, Tim. It's way, way too expensive in terms of energy, right? It is. It is. I wish it weren't, but that's the, that's where we've been for the last hundred years in all sports. You know, I'm fortunate to have seven patents. I've got four in golf, uh, one in soccer, one in basketball, one in football. Uh, just applied for a couple in archery, you know, and a lot of these sports that, you know, I have patents in, they've never actually trained implicitly. Uh, I haven't brought them to the market space and we haven't scratched the surface, even begin to scratch the surface on implicit training because I haven't seen any implicit training tools out there other than these legs. Right. Simply because they don't understand the guys that are developing tools are in the product line, I mean, they're actually manipulating the hardscapes, moving cones and tripods and things and 
like, man, I'm trying to help you see the un, unseen things, you know, these electromagnetic fields that need to be manipulated, you know, prior to an activity, prior to a, a, a volleyball person, you know, uh, spiking a ball or a golfer putting a ball or chipping a ball or whatever, you know, but it has to be free. You're, you're in the right arena of being in the pre pre locomotion area, but it's, you know, how do you create these things from nothing? You know, how do you even create them without a thought? And it's because in the visual realm, these automatic programs make things. When you begin to prompt the brain, in specific forms or angles, and you just put partial pieces of information there, the brain will automatically closure those. It will actually make what image you wanted to make. It'll make a football shape. It'll make a rectangular shape. It'll make a octagon, a hexagon. And those come back to what was that? What was that uh, rectangle made of? Well, it was made of energy. What energy? The energy that was available in your brain on the visual side, you know, because all things are made. Yeah, I get that. I like that, Tammy. And you're right. Yeah, our brain creates it. And I guess that's kind of what I was saying when we use our imagination to create it, right? So when we look at your system, for example, basically what we're doing is we're building constructs in the environment to help our brain comprehend what it originally couldn't comprehend or piece together. That's, no, that's good. That's a good way to look at it. And what will be the determining factor there would be the reward that you mentioned earlier. If there's a reward for the function that you're performing, you know, in our world of baseball, for the hitting side anyway, you know, uh, we build a neurological strike zone inside the brain. It doesn't appear on the retina of the eye. Therefore, it's not real. It's just simply an electrical impulse inside the brain. There are probably hundreds, if not thousands, of electrical impulses firing in the brain to make the strike zone that we are pumping inside the hitter's brain. It's not visibly real, but it's electrically real. And when you swing at a pitch, it comes through that space, that high resolution or portrait mode, where everything is a blur around it and everything is in the center, crystal clear. Well, your brain will reward itself for swinging at the strikes that come through that space. But all the pitches outside of that space will be blurry because we've put the brain into a portrait mode. And it runs that. It can run that system with no extra energy at all because it's, it's not real in a sense of it reached a electrical threshold in the brain that would trigger the brain to say, hey, Somebody's in here. Somebody's doing something to me. You know, all it's going to feel is the reward that it receives from that particular function. Right. No, it makes total sense. So the implicit training, implicit by definition, everybody is without intention, right? It's 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 like you, you're you're doing something and you don't even know it. It's just happening, and it might even be just a result of your actions, but uh, by definition, without intention. And I really like what you said there, Tim. You know, um, it's almost like we're fine tuning uh, our perception with these implicit learning tools, and that's a great that's a great great thing that people need to start thinking about. 
implicit learning tools. And you're right. They just don't exist. Um, probably mostly because we don't holistically as a group in, in the big picture, we don't really understand, or we're just learning now how the brain really works in processing information and how we can manipulate that. So we can actually learn in a better way or maybe perceive in a better way. Is that a better way to say it? Yes, it is. It is, you know, but you know, I've focused mainly in the baseball arena because it was my sport that I played in college and I love the sport, you know, but, uh, I had to lay down a lot of what I had learned through the years to understand implicit training because I wasn't implicitly trained. You know, this is all foreign to me as well, even though I'm the inventor of the, the products and I hold the IP and the intellectual properties, you know, for implicit training in, in several sports here. Uh, it's still, I'd say, a total mystery to me. It's not totally a mystery now because I can actually build products that will trigger the brain to make facial uh, perceptions differently. You know, you can make space appear brighter. You can make space appear elongated. You can make space appear shorter. Uh, no different than time. No time is the construct of the brain. And it's all relative to what's going on in this space. Does it appear that things are moving fast? Does it appear that things are moving slow? And the brain manipulates its flow of time through the perception you know, of its internal working mechanism, basically. But we can do that in the sports world. I mean, for a free throw, you can have guys shoot free throws that could never shoot a free throw because you can change their perception of that space prior to the shot and it has nothing to do with the, the rim or the backboard or anything like that but it's the space between the shooter and and that rim that you have to manipulate in the in the shooter's brain and uh, making it appear shorter making it appear more flat you know to where you would get more arch on the ball but those are things that you have to do implicitly without prompting that shooter to say, okay, I want you to put more arch on the ball. Please put more arch on the ball. He'll put more arch on the ball, but it won't make him a better free throw shooter. Okay? Because there's nothing nothing changed implicitly. The environment did not change. You, change, you changed your external intent, but you didn't change how the brain perceived the distance between the free throw line and the basketball realm. And if you can't do that, then you can't train in this new world that we're going into because we are going to manipulate all kinds of athletes as we grow as a company. We're moving a little slow, uh, but we have to because we're not easily understood. Right. Well, it goes back to that old story of the rabbit, rabbit in the hair, right? I mean, the turtle in the hair. <laughs> and, and sometimes a slow approach is uh, is the good approach. But but I, I like this idea of... Um, maybe fine tuning our our perception or our understanding of the environment. I think coaching and learning has been so processed through um, verbal feedback and verbal commands and 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 you know altering your approach inside of the same environment rather than better understanding of the environment we're in. I love this stuff, Tim. Well, it's, this this world we're in right now is 
heavy on the feel side. You know, it's all about feel. You know, do you feel it? Do you feel your hips or do you feel your elbow or do you feel your fingers or, you know, it comes back to feel. And to me, that's real. That's external. That's uh, something that is a feedback system and not a feed forward system. In order to implicitly change a person, a person without them knowing that they have been changed to where there takes no added energy, no added thought to actually change these behaviors, you know, you have to do that implicitly. It has to become instinctive and you just, they hope that they can do that through these external clues and through external fields. That's why you see the core velocity belts and you have all these rubber bands that are tied to guys now that are trying to do specific uh, motions and uh, we we see electromagnetic fields as those rubber bands basically because we can put pressure in certain perceptual formats like you might say uh, to where the brain would have to actually alter where it put its foot you know, or where it threw it you know, put its elbow whatever but you have to do that prior to any behavior at all. And right. It can't be a feedback system. The feedback system could be a reward system, you know, if you get it right. But the feedback alone with a conscious thought, changing that behavior does not equate to uh, behavior that can be transferred to a field, you know, where you're playing instinctive games. You know, it's okay in practice, and guys get it right in practice, but they get it wrong in the game. You know, it's just like the basketball player I was telling you, you know, making an example of, you know, shooting more arts on the ball, and why, yeah, he makes more free throws. You would think that that reward tied to that physical behavior would actually make that person a significantly better free throw shooter, but it does not, you know. So there's something that has to be changed that these guys are missing. What they're missing is the implicit portion of the brain in its perception of that space. Why did that person shoot the ball flatter in the first place? And it was because his brain perceived that space differently. And until you change that perception, you will not change that player. Yes, I like you'll change him on the outside. You'll change him on the outside. He'll look real good, <laughs> but he'll still be a crappy. He'll still be a crappy player. <laughs> right, touche, touche. Well, that feedback system and that feel that we're talking about and that touch—it's almost too far downstream. It's too late to make any significance, right? That's a big long loop, man, and that takes a lot of time. And as you mentioned earlier, a ton of energy. Great loops, great loops for learning when you're a, an infant. And that's why they were probably put in place, you know, to where, you know, we didn't want to learn it quickly. We wanted to learn it over time. We had to fall a little bit. We had to learn balance and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But in a mature adult that's trying to either skill acquire or, uh, you know, do something that they don't normally do, then there's got to be another method. That is way too far downstream. 
Yeah, right. Hey, Tim, so would it be interesting? Would it be fair to say, is this sort of the thought process that works for you? When I think about all this, and you and I have had many conversations over the years, and I'm always fascinated by it, and we're learning more all the time. So, you know, you're right. This is a continuing conversation, you know, so we're going to continue to learn and understand this more and more. But we're not necessarily, when we talk about implicit training and we look at the VFlex systems, for example, I love them, by the way, without question, I get it. Um, we're not necessarily trying to modify the environment. Like you said, with the tubing or the hurdles or the ladders, we're not trying to modify the environment necessarily. We're trying to enhance our understanding of the environment. Would that be, uh, would that be the right way to phrase that? As a trainer, you are, but not, a, but not as an athlete. He doesn't have to understand anything. You know, you, space in which we move, all athletes are moving in space. Mm-hmm. That space is colorless, odorless, and tasteless. You will not gather any information that will help you in the cognitive realm whatsoever. It is totally neutral. You, you can't quantify it. Now, the brain understands it because it's running electrical currents to make that space transparent or invisible to you. Uh, but, no. Okay, let me rephrase it then. So when we look at like, for example, the like the implicit, like the targeting units or uh, the targeting series, those are building contracts, constructs for the hitter or the pitcher to help them um, uh, understand or utilize space better. How would you how would you explain it? Yes, help the help the brain understand the space that it's in. Yeah, I mean, you're you're. You're talking to their brain. You're not talking to them. When you use an implicit tool, you're not talking to that person because there's there's nothing for them to understand. You can have a conversation with them, you know, because we know that we're conscious beings and we are concept beings and we understand the movements that we're trying to perfect. Absolutely, you can have those conversations. Okay, you know, and I get I get hacked on that quite a bit, but they're not going to be able to access the spatial components that the brain's using. Right, they can't lie, lie awake and <laughs> test themselves on how far, how many millimeters I was, or how, how far I was from a certain object or something like that. You know, in, in any in any case, you know, there's the human being is spatially handicapped. You know, we have speedometers in our cars because humans don't judge speed. You know, we do not have a speedometer in our brain. We can't pull into an intersection and look to the right, see a car coming, and know exactly how fast that car is traveling. We will give ourselves a good guess because we perceive it to either be moving fast or slow or medium speed, but we couldn't write on a piece of paper how fast that car is actually traveling. So, you know, what, what's the use of actually making a person a better guesser at that speed? You know, the goal is to not pull out in front of it and be killed. Yeah, right. No, <laughs> no know? kidding. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So an analogy in sport would be, you know, we can help an athlete get faster, stronger. We could increase their bat speed or their running speed or their club speed. We can increase their strength so they have um, um, 
a good three-point shot in basketball. But that's only one piece of the puzzle is what we're saying here. We are missing maybe one of the most important pieces of the puzzle, which is our understanding and of the space we're in. And that's where the, the tools come into play. And I guess that was my point earlier. You know, we're yeah. not necessarily changing the environment they're in. We're helping them better understand the environment they're in, uh, calibrating the environment in with the implicit training tools. Yes, yes. You're constraining the neurons that are making space. You see, space is uh, low resolution. The brain uses the least amount of energy to make space. Therefore, you know, space is clear and transparent, and it's not blue or pink or purple. We're not seeing through a, a hazy space. Our brain clarified the space that we're looking into, you know, but uh, we're, we're lost in that arena of the past, you know, of where these athletes, we want them to perform better. And in order to do that, they have to, their brains have to interpret that space. They don't have to have a, high, a higher IQ to be a better player. Right. So they just, the brain has to understand that space better. Yep. No, I love and it. And I know that's probably an inadequate answer on that side, but. No, no, I think that I think, Tim, I think that's something that everybody can understand here because we are just cracking this code here. We're just we're on the we're on the brink of a new air age, I think. And you guys are leading the way there. That's why this this conversation is so, so fascinating because we've been stuck because not, not because we want to be stuck, but we're stuck because we don't have an understanding of how to get out of these ruts. But now with the implicit training and the understanding of space, spatial awareness and this concept of perception, when we start understanding perception, especially on the visual side, now we're opening up unprecedented doors of opportunities for our athletes. And that's the conversation for today. Insane potential, insane potential games. Yeah. Some of these athletes will absolutely explode in the field in which they're in, you know, because their brain for the first time, you know, uh, truly clarifies and understands exactly where they are in space, you know, and uh, that's a beautiful thing. You know, we, we sold some pieces this week to Harvard baseball, the Ivy league school. You know, we're just a, a Southern company, you know, we're not, I couldn't get into Harvard if I wanted to, you know, but it's great to sell uh, our product to them. Uh, Arkansas softball, great program on the move. You know, they picked up our stuff this week. Uh, Long Island, New York baseball picked us up this week. You know, we've had got thousands and thousands of users now, but it's sad that a handful of them most likely really understand what they have. Right. You know, and I could, I could fall back on us for not sending out the correct messaging. But I just think it's been these years and years and years of doing it another way. It's just hard to teach an old dog new tricks, you know, and uh, I think that's what we're seeing here. That's why I'm in no hurry because I know I've got an old dog. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, 
Well, for all those progressive new minds out there, there is a massive opportunity right at the doorstep. Hey, Tim, just closing up the conversation here today. Really, really appreciate your time, of course, and your thoughts and all the work that you guys have done in this area. But for all the athletes who are listening today and the coaches and the parents of athletes uh, that tune into the show here globally um, every single week, uh, who don't have access maybe to the V-Flex targeting systems and the training systems, what, what advice would you give them just as they're going out into their training or as they're working with their athletes or as an athlete, you know, trying to get to the next level of their performance? What, what kind of advice would you give our, our listeners as we move forward in this area of perception? I would give a word of caution you know, especially in the digital age that we live, you know, with uh, the video games and the virtual reality uh, approaches that we're seeing in the world, you know, be really careful with that stuff. Uh, trying to trick the brain in those arenas, you know, uh, don't put yourself in a vulnerable position where you do something over and over and over and you don't really know what's going to happen to the brain. When you do that to it, and the other is just keep an open mind. Just because you're cautious doesn't mean that you can't be open-minded and look for new ways to train, new ways to do things. You know, keep keep everything as fresh as you can. You know, try new things. You know, so that dopamine will be released in your brain. You know, even though you may not be training implicitly, you can still have these enormous rewards given if you know the structure of practice that makes it fun and uh, challenging. You know, there's ways to go in the back door, you might say. That'd be my advice. Yeah. I like it. No, great, great advice, Tim. Thank you so much for today, my friend. Great conversation. I think we've um, we've answered some questions. We've set the tone here. So again, 2024, we're going to be talking to you a lot, mister. So uh, get ready because <laughs> we're going to crack this wide open. <laughs> we're, we're, we're on the cusp of, you know, bringing consumer products to the market. I don't know if I've told you or not, but uh, we've got some products being made overseas that are going to be really affordable for our clients in the future here, really short future. So we've been a couple of years now in development. We're almost there. So it'd be great. And I'll just give you a big thumbs up there, man. And uh, hurrah for being brave enough to tackle a subject like we're talking about today. Not many people have the backbone to jump out there and say, Hey, I'm way out of my comfort zone or even myself. I mean, I look at myself as, this is a scary conversation because lots of smarter guys than myself are listening, you know, and you have to really choose your words carefully. Yeah, well, you know, the, the sort of the premise of the show here, Tim, and one of the reasons that I get so excited about doing conversations like this, one, because it's a new field. This is groundbreaking work. We are pioneering here and you're one of those pioneers. But the goal of the show, and this is why I'm so excited to have you on, you know, from time to time here, is our job, I, the way I feel our job for the show is to get people thinking about things they might not be thinking about. And just as we've been so ingrained 
with our approach to coaching and athlete development, which has been okay, but it's not great. We know greatness is somewhere in the future here, and this is going to be a big part of it. It's the same thing with our research and our academics. You know, they get caught up with the proven science, and there's a lot of things that haven't been proven yet that we don't understand. So, so no, no, thank you for coming on because this is how we push it forward and get everybody thinking about maybe something they haven't thought about before, my friend. Until until you have something that can't be peer reviewed, you really don't have anything. You know, if academia and all these guys that have been out here can review what through the peer or through the previous sciences that are out there, then you really haven't had a quantum leap in understanding. You know, and I think that's where we are because we get a lot of questions about that. You know, how do you know this and how do you know that? And you know, this is like, well, you know, uh, one of the reasons is because we can't be peer reviewed. You know, these guys, you can go ask them. They wouldn't know how to build an implicit training piece. They can't build you one. I could give them 40 different pieces of equipment or pieces of product or anything and say, hey, build me something that, that would train my brain implicitly. They can't do it. I don't care who tries to peer review it. It's, it's impossible for them because they haven't seen it. They just can't do it. Right. So it is groundbreaking, man. You're on, you're on the forefront. You're on the spearhead of where we're headed. So don't back down. Keep doing what you're doing. No, I promise. I'm right there, man. Digging away, digging away. It's conversations like this. It'll keep me up at night for good reason, too, my friend. Excellent. Tim Nicely, the founder of VFlex Technologies, Inc. Check out their great stuff, vflexsports.com. Thanks so much, Tim. I cannot wait till we uh, talk again. Thank you, Jeff. Appreciate it, man. Okay. Please tell me you're as fascinated as I am by this stuff. Or am I off my rocker? I just... I love this stuff. I think we have right before us some of the most exciting things going on in terms of pushing human performance forward. Because look, we really do understand physical training. We understand how to help our athletes get faster, to get stronger, more powerful. We can create bat speed, club speed, running speed. We can create postural symmetry, range of motion, flexibility. There's not a lot we can't train. But all that training, like Tim said in that conversation, when he was talking about the free throw, you could tell a basketball player to use more arc in his free throw. It's not necessarily going to make him a better basketball player. But what if we help that athlete change his perception of his environment so it's more accurate? How about that? How about we change his perception of what he's seeing, of where that basketball hoop is in space in relationship to him, to his strength, to his height, to his position on the court. That's the next big thing in sport period. And it doesn't matter whether we're talking about a stationary sport like golf, where the ball is still and the athlete is still, or a chaotic, reactive, ever-changing sport like soccer or football or rugby or basketball for that matter. Or how about an interception sport like tennis or baseball where you have to intercept the ball and then make something happen. Oh my goodness. Can you imagine if we learn 
or help our athletes better understand the space they're in, to better interpret the space they're in. How much more effective would speed, strength, power, agility be? How much difference would that make in terms of sport performance? We can't even calculate it yet because we're just starting to understand it. And today's discussion is one of the first discussions that takes us into this world of space, perception, interpretation, but not only that, manipulating and changing and training our perception and our understanding so we can have a better interpretation of what's going on around us and how we exist inside of our environments. Oh man. So please do not get frustrated with the complexity of this conversation. This is just this is just the very start. We're learning how to even talk about this stuff because we're just beginning. And on another note, Tim's advice for everybody, the caution of the digital world and the virtual reality world. Well, if you listen to the show, you might have heard our episode with Dr. Metha, where we were talking about his incredible work in virtual reality. And Dr. Metha's caution was, uh, be careful how you use it and what you use it for, because in his research on mice, they found that the virtual world tricks the brain. The brain cannot fully comprehend or process the virtual world. In fact, their findings were a virtual reality environment shuts down 60% of the spatial awareness, sensory perception functions of the brain. 60%. That is the exact polar opposite of what we want when we're training our athletes. We want to engage and maximize the stimulation in the brain, not shut it down. Now, on the exciting side of that research, they're discovering that, hey, if we can turn parts of the brain off, doesn't it make sense that we might be able to engage or turn parts of the brain that might be damaged or underperforming on or turn them up? And we'll be talking to Dr. Metha and his group next year as we get into our 2024 campaign into perception. That's going to be a big, big part of it. Fascinating stuff. So to wrap it all up here, one of the things I always talk to my athletes about, and every single one of them has heard this at some point, probably multiple times, just to get them thinking. Again, as I mentioned to Tim, the idea behind the show ultimately is to get our audience, you guys, thinking about things you might not have thought about before. It's the exact same approach we have with each and every one of our athletes that we work with. We are trying to challenge them, not just physically so they can improve their physical performance and physical outcomes, but also on the mental side for decision-making, reaction time, anticipation, all those things that go into great high-end sport performance. But one of the things I always mention to them when it comes to the vision side, and it's a very, very simple thing that I want you to think about as you uh, finish listening to this podcast. Do this today. Do this as soon as you're done. As soon as you walk away, I'll say to my athletes, are you looking or are you seeing? Looking might be okay if you're on a Sunday stroll through the park just taking it all in. But when you're in a performance environment, you have to be working with intent. So we try to help our athletes understand what they should be seeing and why that's so important to performance outcomes. So for the rest of today and the rest of this week, pay attention. Are you looking or are you seeing? There's a big, big difference when you think like an athlete. I'm Jeff Kershaw. 
The Crush Podcast is recorded right here in the Crush Studios. Our distribution partner is Radio Influence Digital Media. Website and educational material produced and directed by Debbie Kershell, Miss Crusher. Theme music, graphics, and video design by Noah Alexin at Nolexin Visual and Sound. And this is season 18 of Crush Performance. Get the Crush archives and subscribe to the show. Go to jeffcrushell.com and follow me on social media. Search out Crush Performance. And stay tuned for the launch of our video series coming this fall to our YouTube channel. Have a great week, everyone. And we'll talk to you next time right here on Crush Performance.